Hey there, wonderful people, and welcome to another episode of The Finnovator with me, Stuart Bell. I am a business coach working almost exclusively with advice firms. Uh, I'm an author, and I'm also uh, the proud sort of founder of the Leverage Advice Firm program, which I think is one of the most comprehensive practice management resources for advice businesses on the planet. Uh, today's website, no website, today's podcast is a bit of a labor of um, yeah, enjoyment, I'd say. Angela Lachlan is a program member, uh, someone I've worked with for a period of time, and uh, frankly, I think she's one of the most capable practice managers I've ever had the opportunity to meet. Angela and I first met at a workshop that was being run uh, by IWF, and I'd been brought in to run a half day where we were talking about you know various different things around service offers and a whole bunch more. And uh, you know what? She, we were there, we were talking, and some people in the room are asking one kind of question, which is uh, very much about the client engagement stuff. But Angela was asking a whole range of new questions, you know, about the systematization, about the technology. And I remember looking at her, I turned to her with a smile and said, you must be a practice manager. And she smiled back at me and said, yeah, I am. And I think why I really wanted to get her onto the podcast and have this conversation is because... The way that she approached her systems thinking, the organizational skills, but also the energy she brings every time she does everything is exactly what you want in somebody who you are entrusting uh, to drive your business forward, to systemize, to do all of the things that we know practice managers, uh, good practice managers do really, really well. Uh, in particular, I was originally going to call this podcast what uh, practice managers want you to know about your own practice, because I think that's what this is. Uh, Angela went through some real nuggets of gold. And if you're an advisor, and in particular, if you're an advisor who your focus is very much on the advice, well, that's what you love, that's your passion. Uh, and whilst managing the business and managing people and putting projects through something you can do, uh, you feel like you can improve. This is a podcast for you. You know, we all have that hat we like to wear. And there's some people out there who are technicians, to quote Gerber. There are some people who are you know, doers and there's some people who just excel at the managing and the organizing. And Angela is one of those pe people. Um, not to mention, as I, met, as I said at the beginning, uh, I've never seen Angela uh, not into a room with a smile and bring that energy. And I think that's another key thing you're gonna, you're gonna get out of this. I hope you do get something out of this because this is one of those uh, interviews that I just, I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed it both because the flow of the conversation, well, the topic was something I loved, the flow of the conversation, but most importantly, um, it's putting people like Angela in front of uh, others and letting you know how much cap how much capability she's got and how much knowledge she's got, I think is, is, a good, is a good practice to get into. It's one of the reasons why I do this. Anyway, without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, I keep saying that piece instead of without a moment's delay. Uh, let's hand over for a conversation about practice management, all the things uh, Angela wants you to know and do better and that can improve your business. Uh, me and Angela, let's jump in. What I wanted to do today is dive into this area of practice management and in particular, the practice manager. It's a role that um, I think sooner or later as an advisor and as a business owner, when your business reaches that point, you're going to need somebody who can really have oversight of some of the things that need to get done from an operational point of view. And in particular, if there's certain areas you want to focus on or certain tasks that you know, you're good at, but you know that operationally you're not, then uh, you know, this is a role that sooner or later gets on the table. But today we're going to dive into not only the role, we're going to dive into um, how it works. We might even talk through, you know, the kind of practice managers you can hire. We're going to get some insights into maybe what Angela's experienced or seen uh, by being a practice manager that 
that maybe isn't as obvious. I met Angela when I was presenting at a workshop for a, I think it was IOOF. And uh, I was, we were talking a lot about, I think it was systems and processes and pricing. And she asked this question and I turned around to her and smiled. I'm a, I'm a bit of a systems guy. And I went, you must be a practice manager and operations manager. And she looked at me and went, I am. And it was just that moment, the question she was asking, she was so insightful and smart about looking at it from a, how do I make this work? And she was incredibly practical. And from that moment, we just kind of uh, started talking. She's one of the easiest people to, to deal with. She's also very, such a hard worker. And on top of that, really, really smart. So let's jump in and let's get started on this. Uh, that was a very nice introduction. All true. hundred percent true. Oh. Do you remember that workshop? Yes, I do remember the workshop. Yeah. It was, it was, I can't even remember the question, but I just remember looking, hearing it and going, there's somebody who's thinking through the nuts and bolts and how do we make this work and all the rest of it. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. So where are you? Um, yeah, I'm at home. I'm at home in my kitchen living area. Um, I've got two children, um, lost children, we call them, because they're in year eight and year nine. So they've been forgotten. Um, by Dan um, and I've got a son who's in year four and he is doing his stuff in his bedroom and um, homeschooling but he'll be back on Monday so. So you've got three kids in the house? Three kids in the house yep. Kitchen that you've designed yourself? Yes I did design my kitchen myself. You are literally the juggling everything right now. <laughs> yeah. So for those let's let's start it off by just saying for those who don't know haven't heard of you god forbid it or don't know BBB can you give them a bit of background about, you know, what the business is all about, who you help, how it works, just the, uh, the overview? Yeah. So um, BBB is an accounting and wealth firm based in South Melbourne. We specialise in um, doing the wealth and business services accounting for medical professionals predominantly, um, but also just other professionals. Uh, it's, we've had, it's been in business for over 26 years. Uh, the financial planning side of things has been about, is about 15 years old. Um, so while it's established, it's something that we have now turned our attention very strongly towards. Um, and I joined the business over three years ago. Um, and I replaced a practice manager actually that, um, was retiring. He was, um, in his sixties. Uh, and was very much what I consider um, a practice manager. So was very into the financials of the business, was very into the day-to-day running of the business. Yep. Whereas I suppose, um, funnily, when I said that I would take the role, I said, can I change my title though? And they said, oh, sure, what do you want to be? So I called myself an operations and development manager, which um, which I didn't quite know what that was, but it sounded pretty good to me. So, and I think that, Stu, when I was reading through your notes last night and doing a bit of prep, I had a bit of a laugh to myself. My kids would say lol, so I laughed out loud that um, I was looking at the three roles that you had and saying that, you know, this is what you have in an organisation and that you have an entrepreneur sort of creator type person. And I said, oh, yeah, that's me. And when I was reading it thinking, you know, imagine stuff that hasn't happened yet and what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, that's that would be my role. And then I kept reading and went, Oh, the organizer. Yeah. Oh, that's that's me. I'm like, oh, these are the things that I have to do. And then I got down to the doer and said, oh, sometimes I'm the doer as well. So I was interested in all the roles. And then when I thought about it more, I thought, you're right, it is really important for the organizer to be the organizer. And sometimes I fall into the doing. And there's a reason that you fall into the doing, which is um, 
because to know what other people are doing in your organisation, I think, is super important for someone in my role. You need to be able to understand the process from where to go. It needs to be understand how it affects your team, how it affects your clients, how what you're doing affects the business owners. Mm. So I think as much as you don't want to get into the doing every day, it's yeah. important that you know about the doing. And then I think in terms of being the entrepreneur or the creator, that's that's just part of who I am. So I think maybe that's what makes me um, enjoy my role so much and hopefully be valuable to my team. But I think that coming up with the ideas is the hard part. So if you can get a practice manager that wants to do a bit of that and has that innately in them, that's where you're sort of at the at the real sweet spot. It's funny. We're going to dive into this because you didn't start out as a practice manager. But I remember talking to, to um, uh, a potential client a while ago. Ended up he, he needed a different kind of coach. But he, he said something which really struck with me is where he built this business from like, they designed interiors of offices. They built this business from very small to like 50 million and they were going for the next level. And he said, look, I always get involved so I know how to do something if I need to. But once I know basically how it works, that's the point at which you go, right, who else is going to do it? But he said, that ability, if we ever lose somebody or someone drops out to go, okay, jacket off, sleeves up, I'm going to get in there. Uh, he said, I think if you ever lose control of it fully, that could be a problem, but getting drawn into doing too much of it is also an issue. Absolutely. So let's talk about the start because you didn't start out as a practice manager, did you? No, no. So, so I, yeah, so um, I suppose I started working from the age of 14. So I've always, I'm just a bakery chick, but I've always been a worker. Um, and I then went through uni. I actually am a product of a Melbourne Arts Melbourne Uni Arts degree, which I think uh, has held me in extremely good stead in terms of my communication, my ability to write, um, organisational skills, I suppose. Some of those things really do come from that. So, no, I didn't have a financial background. I didn't do echo. I didn't do accounting at at school. Um, I was working at a pub, actually, when I finished uni, and I went over to a table full of gentlemen that were having a bloke's lunch and I asked them all if they'd like another beer because they'd finished their beers and I was cleaning their plates. And they said, do you know that you're the first person that's ever asked us if we'd like something else? And I said, oh, well, it just goes, you know, why would you not want to have another beer? Yeah. So it, it just it evolved from that. And then I went and worked for them for, yeah, five years. So it um, did the grad dip in financial planning, um, did all the study I needed to to get up to speed. Um, yeah. As I said, then it got to the point where I thought I could be there forever and what else am I going to do? Um, so I did broking for six months uh, and then I went and worked for Westpac Private Bank um, okay. in their financial planning department for less than six months. And I actually begged my old business partners to, um, my old employers to take me back, but we decided that they were going to buy a business. So they, they bought an additional book that I then managed and took over. So a whole client um, base that they bought and and I went running from there. It was a much older client base. So that was a really big challenge um, in terms of uh, having older clients and, and being only 27 at that stage. Um, so that was a big personal hurdle for me, but took it in my stride, I suppose, and, and went on with it. But three children later is where we then made <laughs> made the change. So I suppose I felt I was running from being a mum to being a business owner to being an advisor. Um, the two guys that I worked with 
we're busy being accountants and financial planners themselves. So a lot of the operations of the business itself fell on to me. So hiring and what are we doing about this and, and looking after the admin team and all of that. So just it, it just happened that way that I suppose naturally for me, I just gravitate towards doing those things. It's incredible. Like juggling kids and being a full-time advisor is like, it's very, very difficult. Rachel had the same sort of challenge when, when she became an advisor. Um, You stuck it out for a while though, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And and we went through the GFC and, and we went through all of that and and the clients were um, quite well placed, even though they were much older and obviously very concerned about their retirement balances. They were, they were in a good position. So it was more, you know, when I said, oh, I need to, I'm going to leave, you know, that they were all very much on board and, and very supportive. Um, you learn something from everything. And I suppose I, I've never regretted selling my business. Firstly, I um, really admire the two advisors that I sold my business to. I knew from the word go, I, put, I just put the feelers out there and it was word of mouth as to, as to how I found um, a buyer for my business. And I was very happy with, what I got for my business, I, I could have pushed harder probably, but that wasn't what my, that wasn't the outcome I was looking for. The outcome I was looking for was to take some time out um, and be able to reset, I suppose, and and spend some time with my family because my kids, yeah, were sort of moved from pillar to post when they were when they were pretty young. So, so selling my business, I mean, that's something that you know it's it's daunting for a lot of people, but to me, it's it's always just another chapter. You just you learn something from it. When you look back at the business that you had, yeah, eyes that you have now as a practice manager, does it make you feel like, wow, that was that was a better business than I even realized it was, or does it make you look back and go, you know what, if I had that time again, I would make my life easier by doing this better or that better? Oh, good question. Um, I think you just uh, well, I think I'm the sort of person that you the more I've got to do, the the better I do things. So this whole COVID thing has been very tricky for lots of us. But me being in the office, like I love to be surrounded by not mayhem, but action. I love having things to do. I love solving problems. I love bouncing ideas off people. I love people's ideas that they give me. Um, so from that sense, too, I think where I was in my career and what I knew then, I was just doing things naturally. And again, like one of the questions that I've seen come through is about, you know, um, how do you manage? How do you manage change? And how do you manage dealing with the other people in your organisation? And and how do you bring on board other practices? All of those things are such good questions. But I haven't had any formal training in change management. A lot of that just comes innately from managing a family or managing you know, life and, and this is what works and this, what, this is what doesn't work. So I think where we are now as a business, um, was definitely the foundations and things that we're building uh, leagues above where I was before. The firm I was at before was smaller and yep. we didn't have the resources and, and, and things like that. So I think the base that we're building now is completely solid and I'm really excited about it. So it's interesting. I'm, you know, I've had this conversation. I think if you were to put a handle and say, what, what is the cause of most business problems? It's usually communication, right? Yeah. Yeah. A communication problem. And if you solve the communication, it gets a lot clearer. And I think, I mean, I, I had this conversation a while ago with someone said, the one thing we don't teach enough of our kids about is how to communicate and resolve conflict. And we don't do that early enough at school. Maybe yeah. as parents, we should probably blame it, stop blaming it on school. <laughs> so just very quickly, I'm going to get into some of the questions. Yeah. 
obviously, if I look at things, you, you, you sold a business. Did you, was it ever your intention to come back into planning or was it like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm going to find my next thing. Uh, yeah, I think, I think sometimes in my own mind, I think that I cared too much. So I, I took on board people's problems and concerns and things like that. I, I took it on board. I really took it to heart. So that's, that's the way I am. So I think that was leading me down a path of, I need to be able to turn off and I wasn't able I wasn't able to turn off. I also think that where I suppose without blowing my own trumpet, my skills lie is in being able to organise it so that other people can be their best people. So yep. we've got some great advisors in our office and they don't need me to help them be a great advisor. They're already great advisors. Yep. But what I want, I don't want one great advisor in our office. I want 10 great advisors in our office. So if I can make it such that we've got a system and a process that our business can grow because we've got 10 advisors, we're putting on an 11. I mean, that, that's where my end game is. And that's why I think I'm better at doing that stuff than being an advisor and only being able to help X amount of people. This way I get to help more people. I completely agree with you. I saw an interview with Jose Mourinho, who is the coach of my, my team, Tottenham. But he was asked about how do you coach world-class players? He says, you, when you reach the level of working with those kind of people, you, you don't coach them how to be better football players. They are better football players. You coach them how to be a team. Yep. And that's, I think, um, the really key part. I think, as, you know, whether it's a practice manager or a coach, you need to understand the mechanics of how it works. But ultimately, your goal is not to focus on the be a better advisor. It's how can I make it work so you can be a better advisor, right? Yeah. Um, let's dive into some of the questions because there's a question which came out which is really relevant. And I think it was asked by, um, I think it was Nigel, actually. He's one of the first. So you've worked with two kind of two businesses in a practice management capacity. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so after I after I um, sold my business, I was sort of on a bit of gardening leave. So part of the contract was that I wouldn't become an advisor somewhere else, which was completely fair enough. So I went and worked for a Godfrey Pembroke advisor in the city, and I just sort of helped him set up a few things. I knew it was just an interim position, but I gained experience in different products and things that I hadn't used as an advisor myself. Um, so it sort of built on that experience and set up how to do things. That was under, obviously, Godfrey Pembroke's under the MLC and NAB sort of license. And so I also was privy to understanding, you know, how things work in a um, dealer group um, realm, which has got its own, its own problems and hurdles and things that you've got to overcome. And that's hard because often you can't make as many changes. So that's one of the biggest things. Being in small business and or being a self-licensee, I think, has been awesome because you, you get to make those changes. If you want to move the ship, move the ship. You know, yeah. you don't have to be looking all the way up into the bank executives to get a sign off on something. So that's what makes it exciting as well, I suppose. Agreed. That's where I, I was at. Then I actually moved into sales. So funnily enough, I then had some time being a BDM. So that's helped as well and grew my passion for, um, for sales and how it works from an advisor perspective and what else people need, all that sort of thing. And then I came back into operations. Then into operations, which is obviously straight into with BBB, which is a, was a very yeah. different role, larger business. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. BDMs make good practice managers or is yeah. it? They do. And why? Yeah. They're just, well, they're just, I think part of the mindset of being an operations manager for a business is it helps that I had my own business. I think it's very much a balance of um, balancing up the client experience because you want that to be great, but you also, you need to be commercial. You need to have the business at heart. You know, you, you, want your, you want your business to do better. You want the people you're working with to do better and to progress. So you, you do have that, yes, you, you're constantly balancing that. 
So to, to draw straight from Nigel's, in your opinion, uh, what's the right time? Oh, <laughs> I did see that question and such a good question. Good question. Um, so I, I think that you can't do this. You can't do this if you're a, a one, two man show, I suppose. I mean, BBB has, um, when I was, when I started, I started on the operation side of the financial planning business and we had, uh, of the accounting firm, sorry, we needed to get that right before um, we moved me over into financial services, which I've now been doing for the last 12 months. We had one advisor at the time and we had, you know, say 160 different clients with that with that advisor. So that's the level. And, and what we wanted to do was we were all very much, we want to grow this business. So the decision was made. So when people ask questions or talk about, you know, do I have the support of the leadership group or, or how do I get everyone on the same page and all those sorts of things? The, the best thing about my role is that I, I do feel that I've got the confidence of um, of the leadership group and I'm given, it's not free reign, I don't think. We, we work out together what we need to do next, but I can certainly have the ability to determine what I do on a daily basis, how we're going to go about it. I'm constantly throwing up new ideas about how we could solve the, these different problems. So, Financially, I think it's a, it would be a big jump for someone who's, say, three, four-man band to go, okay, great, I think our next person is, a, is an operations manager. Now, I think you, you, you could do it, um, but you would probably be getting someone with less experience. But it doesn't mean that they couldn't do part of the role that I do, which is essentially all about the systems and processes. Okay, so you can have an organiser that is going to do that part of it for you, and I think that's where you can get scale. That's my mandate. That's what I think every day. I'm making this business a scalable business. We were a very successful financial planning business. There's, there was nothing wrong with what was happening. But it's do you want to take the next step? Do you want to grow it? Are we all on board? Is this what we want to do? Are we going to do anything to get there? So I've taken from that. When you make it, either your practice hits that level where you're on three to four people or you decided we're going to go for it. Like if yeah. you want to build a lifestyle business, you might not need a practice manager. When you're... Yeah. This is really important. When you're ready to allow others to take control of certain aspects, if you're not, yeah. don't go near it because that'll, that, that's, 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 that'll, only, 100%. it'll just frustrate everyone. You it see, will just frustrate everyone. Yep. Like, I'm um, presumably when your client numbers exceed a certain level, would you agree? Or was that just, yeah, me? I would probably agree with that. And, and, and that you want it, that you have multiple advisors probably. Yep. Like I think that's where it comes because one advisor often has their own way of doing things and their way is their way is okay. It could be better, but their way is probably okay. It's working for them. It's it's working. But it's when you need to then go, okay, as a bit now we do have our own AFSL. So part of it is stem stems from, okay, well, if we put on more advisors, we need everyone to be you know, singing from the same hymn book. We need for things to be such that if a client comes in and sees one of our advisors, it's going to be the same experience as if they see the other advisor. We want things to be um, be that way across the board. So that's why it's important then to set up systems and processes so that it's not just that it's a cookie cutter, but it's more that they do have that same experience. And also from a second point of view, it's about compliance and it's about making sure that every single thing, those annoying little things, 
all of those annoying little things that could get us into strife, they all have to be done every single time without fail. So it's also a matter that's very important to us having our own license. So it's also about that. So I guess the two things, if you, if you have or intend to have multiple advisors yep. uh, and or you have your own AFSL and, and to, to sort of preface that, if you have your own AFSL and you don't like the detail, you don't like doing the stuff, that's probably when you should be looking at practice management. And I'm just going to add in there, when your profit is sufficient, that yep. profit ma- practice manager in isn't going to put instant pressure on the, on the income because you just, yeah, if you're, if you, if you start to have a conversation about income producing resources, well, a practice manager is going to create profitability and efficiency, but then, you know, if you don't have enough profit in business already, focus on that first, right? Yeah. And look, one good thing that the guys always say to me and, and, and girls is that, um, it's an investment. So I'm like, because sometimes I even go, oh, you know, and, and I'm here and I'm, you know, I've got to make sure that I'm earning. But it's about that it is. They've, they've chosen to make this investment. So it's not, it's not going to be within the first six months. We're going to move the dial, but they're not going to absolutely reap the profit of doing, the benefit of doing this, probably for, the, for 12 months, maybe 24 months. Let's talk about scope. Like in your yeah. If a, if a practice manager is coming in and they've been given the, the right brief, the right scope of the role, what are the key um, sort of things they're going to take ownership or, or, or manage? And I think someone asked this one. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. So I suppose a big part of what we are doing is, is rebuilding. So it's almost like we're building a financial planning firm from scratch. So it's all about documenting all of our systems. So one of our most exciting achievements since I've been working and doing ops for um, our financial services is our um, growing of our team offshore. So it was a massive hurdle and um, we had been through lots of staff internally and with bums on seats, but we just weren't, for whatever numerous reasons, we weren't finding the right team. Now, we've got a admin, um, financial planning admin assistant in Cebu, and we've also got a para planner now, and they're both delightful girls and they're doing a brilliant job for us. Um, so a big part of my role is managing, managing that relationship. Right. So that's one side of things. So it's processes and systems. Everything I do, I don't want to do again from scratch. So I will take, and it takes time, but I will take that 15 minutes or that 20 minutes and I will template that, whatever I've done. If it's an email and I liked how that sounded, bang, that becomes a template. I never want to write that email again. Yep. Um, how do we do something? Oh, how do we send a form into Macquarie Wrap? Oh, okay, I don't know. Let's do it this way. Is that the best way? So I also question a lot of things. So there's a way that you can do things and then there's a way that you need new eyes, fresh eyes on things saying, yeah, but is that the best way? Just because that's the way you've always done it, is that the best way to do it? Love it. So that's a big part of my role is questioning the current processes that we have and can we make them better? Because it's easy for, if you're in your business, it's really easy to just keep going along the way you're going. Because as I said, a, a lot of the time things aren't broken. But if, there's, if you can make things better every day, that's my aim as well. Can you give me like an example of this, which is, you know, something recently you've looked at and just gone, how can we do this better? And as a result of that, you've made improvements that otherwise would have just carried on. Yeah, okay. So at the moment, we're doing a lot of, um, I, I run a lot of my processes out of Process Street. So that's where I'm putting in, it's essentially I'm building our little manual, our little, um, yeah, manual for how things work within BBB. 
Mm-hmm. So anything that I'm doing, we do that. Now, we've also just taken on board as an accounting and financial planning firm. We've now got a new document management system, which is FII Docs. We're using that and it's got a lot of features. It's not just where we're um, you know, scanning, having all of our electronic files. It's also got workflow management. It's also got tasking. So now what I'm doing is I'm building all these systems that mean that things will be automated. So upon sending this email to this client to welcome them as a client of BBB, bang, these three tasks happen. And does this, the advisor does that, this person does that. So that's what I'm sort of working very heavily on. Um, But mostly, Stuart's about communications. I rewrite communications and how they work. Um, And, yeah, just looking at the best best way for us to do things. And and I'm really, I suppose, focused on making the onboarding of our clients efficient and a good experience for them. Um, I want to ask about technology. There's some great questions. We're going to definitely... Technology. How much of your role is um, the technology side of things? Yeah, it is. It is a lot. Um, now, I'm not super technical because everyone could have just seen me then working on that. Now, that was not my fault, that sound thing. But um, I'm not super, super technical. But what I do is play with things. So we we will go to something we will hear about, and that's about talking to your peer groups, what's working for them. Um, what's working for them is not exactly how we might um, apply it in our business. So that's another important skill. It's not about just getting the new shiny toy and what we call plug and play. It never works like that. But it's about giving things a go. You've got to try things. You've got to be like every day we talk about pushing the button. So it's one of our favourite sayings at work. And you've got to be just brave enough. Sometimes you just got to push the button and you've just got to see what happens. And often you're not going to break things so technology wise yes it is a big part of my role and it's about um trying things like we've done DocuSign and all of that over the last um 24 months probably practice ignition has been awesome for our business so these are all things absolutely that i within my role that got the other people in my business might hear things and they say hey Ange, have you heard of this so it's not always me coming up with those ideas, absolutely not, but it's about me then going away and working out whether that IT is right for us. And it's got to be that it's significant enough to either replace something or for us to spend the time to work out, is it worth us doing? It's um, general rule of thumb is if it doesn't make things faster, better or easier, don't go near it. But I agree, Angela, you've got to play. You've got to have time. So I'm just going to play with it and see if I can do it. And, and yeah, sometimes when you're under pressure and you're constantly chasing things, you don't get that time. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing you, you benefit you. That is your role to do. Yeah. This stuff. It's like I say to people, it's not that I know more than other people. It's just, I spend more time on this stuff than 99% of the industry. And you'd be the same, right? Yeah. So that's right. Getting, so in terms of that, so, so it is about staff. It is about it. It is about systems and processes um, and it is about bringing the team together. So yep. you know, we have our weekly team meeting. We, we talk about things. Now, that's, is that always a priority every week? No. And, and I've had to sometimes say to everyone, come on, get motivated. And I, and I do do that. So a big part of it is also bringing everyone together and, and I suppose just, just igniting conversations so it's about what's working, what's not working. So you just probe and probe and probe people and just so that you can, you can bring things to light, put things on the table. There's no point in, in not discussing things. So I suppose that's another part of, of what I do. I'm going to ask because you, you're always very upbeat and positive and optimistic. You, so obviously you manage your energy very, very carefully because I'm assuming that you, maybe are you this way naturally? 
you consciously go right. I'm going to go into work. I'm going to. I'm. 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 I'm my energy is going to have to be positive on people. Um, I did think about this last night, Stu, because I thought, oh, someone might ask, well, what sort of traits do you think? Look, you, you couldn't do this role if you were a negative person. Okay. You, you, you just couldn't. You would, you would analyse things into oblivion. I mean, that's one thing, like I'm a Virgo. I'm meant to be a perfectionist, and in some ways I am. But you can't be because you won't get anything done. Things are not going to be 100% right. So if you've got someone that's a stickler for, you know, this has got to be perfect, this has got to be perfect, it's not going to be. So you've got to send it out and, and you don't want, you, you know, you've got to test, you've got to have your guinea pigs, you've got to do all of this stuff and make it as right as you can before you roll it out to clients. But it's their feedback as well. They're going to come back to you and say, hey, I didn't really like how that worked. Don't take it personally. You're not saying you didn't like how I did something. You're just saying, hey, that didn't work so well. So great. Tell me that and we'll improve it. Okay. So you don't have all the answers all the time when you're trying to start something, start something off. You, you, I think you've also got to be decisive. Um, you can't fluff around and take two months to make a decision on something. Okay. It's just going to frustrate everyone. You need to be able to say, and, and you need to be able to, I think I stick at things. I'm like a dog with a bone. I do stick at things and I want to see them work. But I also, you have to have the ability to be able to go, radio. we've just tried, what was it, Facebook? Um, this is one of the ones that we just went, Facebook, whatever it was, their, their internal chat thing. That didn't work for us. And we just went, we, we rolled it out to everyone and we were all excited about it and we were all upbeat and said, this is going to be awesome for our business. It's going to bring us together as a team. And a couple of weeks later, we went, no, we don't like it. Let's do something else. Have you read Seth Godin's The Dip? No. Great book. He did. I'm writing that down. I, read, I was going through a really challenging time in, in the business. Yeah. And he writes about how to, it's the art of knowing when you've just hit a, a, a bit of a, a sticking point and you've got to push through versus yeah. knowing that you failed and you should own up and, and leave. It's such a good book. And at the time, yeah, I can rec highly recommend it. If you're in that sort of stuck in one of those lulls that we all go through sooner or later and you're wondering, should I, should I just throw it away or whether it's just one of those, you know, the, the image where the guy's chipping away and there's the gold just be just a yeah. bit further. So that's a really good book. You, I think also Jenna mentioned one of the questions I saw that came through in terms of one of the other traits, I suppose, that I think you need to have or that the person needs to have is, is to be convincing. You need, to, you need to be able to, Janet sort of talked about the transition of power and, and, and how do I deal with, yeah, the, the leaders of the business of handing over stuff. And, and that's not always easy. And look, I've got, I've got um, six partners that, that I deal with regularly and they're all extremely different. And, yeah. and I've had to learn that, you know, you can't go in with a sledgehammer with all of them. Not all of them like a sledgehammer. Some of them love the sledgehammer, but others don't. So you need to find a way to be able to take on board where they're coming from as well and, and find another way to explain it. But you've got to explain, yeah, the whole what's in it for them thing. It's really important that you can explain that. But, Jenna, I think the important thing is, is that they've, they have got to have been ready and have made that decision that they're ready to hand over a big whack of the control before they hire someone. And I suppose that's going to be, that's also on me. They're trusting me and therefore I've got to deliver. So I'm very conscious of that. I need to keep building that trust so that then they give me more responsibility, I suppose, and free reign to continue to do what I do. If I kept stuffing up, 
it would be harder and harder for them to do that. Which I guess comes down to communication as well. Communicate, you want yeah. why you're doing it, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the how much thing? And that might, might lead to a point. You spoke about being able to be convincing and deal with personalities. And one of the things I've noticed between practice managers who are able to really step into this role and, and roles which are a bit more of an operations manager is the balance of power between the, the, the people who run the business or the advisors or the principals and, 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 um, and the people who have been given operational sort of responsibility. I tend to find the relationship between a true practice manager and the principals is very much equal. Yeah. It tends to be a bit more of a, you're my boss thing. Yeah. Look, it's funny. I've often said, you know, I, I, I consider it my business. Mm. Like, and that may come from being a business owner previously, but I treat it as if it's my business. I don't take anything for granted. So I don't rule the Like I don't think, oh, they will let me do this. I never think like that, but I do consider it my business. Therefore, I want to do the best. And I think that that comes through. So they realize that whatever I'm doing, whether things work or not work, the intention is there to make the business better. That must be quite challenging uh, at times. People like when you got someone who's coming in and they believe they're treating it like their business, you would have certain personalities who go, it's not your business. It's my yeah. business. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's right. That's what I'm saying. You need to know still where your, where your position is because yeah. you're not. But I think that, um, and look, you would, you would need to ask the business owners perhaps. Do I have questions um, to treat it like my business? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about sort of the range. If someone's listening to this and they're, they, they're, they're sort of going, well, I, I've been told I can have a practice manager for this much or that much. What's your experience of, of where it starts and, and goes? Yeah, I think, I think it's really about... Um, the experience because you can get someone who's younger like we then got we've now um got i've got my own practice manager so the business has gone now and we have a practice manager for the accounting side of the business Mm -hmm. so you know that person is is much younger um they've got similar enthusiasm for things they are logical in their thinking they're an excellent communicator but they're you know in their early 20s now you could pay that person, you know, say seventy thousand. Yep. You could get someone who is going to be doing those things, and they will be able to do the base level of a practice manager. They, yep. Absolutely, and they'll do a smashing job. Now, once they start getting into bringing forward their own ideas and their own perspective on things, and they're driving it more, that person's going to be asking for ninety thousand. Okay. You know that th- they're doing more of the stuff. But I suppose where you're getting into somewhere, someone more with my experience, that's another level again because you're bringing with it the perspective of, of, of so much more experience that you're seeing it from, you, you know how to see it from different angles. Yep. A, a, a younger person with less experience or whatever um, may be great at doing the organising. They may be great at aspects of the role, but they perhaps aren't going to take it as quickly maybe and as effectively to the next stage great great stuff like good operations people will do what's required but they're still mentoring great people who are are really good at practice management they'll take an idea sometimes you don't even ask them they'll just spot something and they'll go they'll ask for sign off and next thing you know there's a project underway and it started so ultimately i think when you get at the top end i think like for good people i think you're starting at 150 and going up very very quickly but that's the whole point about the return on investment. If you get systems and process and efficiency and people and going in the right direction, staff trained, you know, yeah. you can lift your profit by a significant amount. 
Yeah, and it's often that you're wearing a couple of hats. Yeah. That's exactly right, Stu. You know, we don't have a separate HR department. You know, we don't have a separate marketing department. So yeah. that, is, that is me in unison with other people, but that is, that is me. That's, that's what I still see. The buck stops with me on those different areas. So you could either choose to specialise or you could choose to get a well-rounded, I suppose, practice manager or ops manager that can take on board an overseeing role on a lot of those areas. Love it. I want to ask this question, which is a couple of questions. Jill says she wants to understand the benefits that practice managers provide. Nigel asks, what's the value proposition? Let's, and I've written down here how. If you were going to measure the success of a practice manager and you're going to put it out there and say, this is what I want to achieve, what are some of the, the things that you think practice managers bring to, good practice managers will bring to the table? What should you measure them on and what should you not measure them on? Like obviously revenue from clients, they can influence, but that's probably not a great metric for a practice manager. Would you agree? Yeah, I do agree. And look, we, look, we, we've got that internally with me, I suppose, even to some extent, is that that's right. Measuring admin is hard. And especially from an accounting backgrounded firm, it, they're all about timesheets and they're all about hours on the clock and they're all about jobs getting done and the profitability on jobs and all those sorts of things. So it is quite, um, it, it turns things on its head a little bit. Uh, I suppose the way that I'm, I'm man, um, performance managed, I suppose, is about how far have we come? So we talk about where we where we are now, that and a baseline. This is what we were. It's about number of clients. It's about how efficient we are. It's about what our clients' experience is like. I mean, we've got a ready-made client base. We're, we're so lucky. We've got hundreds and thousands of, of uh, accounting clients that we can tap into at, for our financial planning. So we don't have that side of issue. So, but you're right. I mean, but that, not all of that is on me either. I can set up the, you know, I can build the foundation, but it's up to us as a team to get, to get everyone through that system and to create leads and to do those sorts of things. So it really is, a, it is, it's a team productivity thing. So I appreciate that it is hard to, to value a practice manager or an operations manager. I think you just need to start with where you are now and where do you want to see your business get to? And you just need to know that those things are being done. Because I've got to tell you, if I really genuinely believe if, if I wasn't there, the business could have stayed the way it is. The business could still be the way it is. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you say, we want to grow this business, the, the business owners can come with ideas, but they can't spend the whole day doing the stuff. I agree. They, they just can't. So it's not going to happen. They can have ideas and they can go, oh, yeah, let's get, but it won't come to fruition unless you've got someone driving it. Sooner or later as a business owner, uh, it's kind of like the space shuttle analogy, which is, you know, the space shuttle goes up, it's got fuel tanks, it gets higher and higher, the fuel gets empty. If you continue to hold on to everything you did when the, when the, pro, when the business launched, it will pull you back down to orbit. And there comes a point where one of the best investments I think you can make is on somebody else to, to manage the, the engine that drives the business. So you can focus on whether it's the marketing or the partnerships or yeah. mentoring, focus on the thing that you are best at. And I think if yeah. you know what that investment point is, which for me, it's usually sort of the third stage, you'll know finding the right person and investing in that is one of the best things you can do. Yeah. Let's pull out a couple of questions. This has been yeah, really, really good. Malcolm, it's, this is an interesting question. You want to know how, how to help merge a number of businesses. And I'm going to flick it around a little bit. But if you've done this work, tell us. But how do you merge you know, different mindsets, different attitudes, different, maybe even different advice specializations? Because it's kind of similar from merging a business. How do you manage that? 
We've got different personalities. We haven't done it. We haven't done a, a, a big merger with another business. And I can, and I've spoken to people that have, and I can imagine that that would add another layer of complexity onto things. I think you do have to be clear that you can't please everyone. You have to understand that you're not going to be able to please everyone. I think you need to also be cognizant of listening to everyone's perspective where they're coming from and then you need to be able to make a decision yourself and you you need to guide everyone because if you allow it just to continue to be well here's my idea here's my idea here's my again you're not going to get anywhere at some point you've got to say I'm going to take on board that I reckon that's worth doing I reckon that's good and let's mold those together if one particular business you don't take a lot of ideas from them maybe so be it maybe they weren't they weren't up to where where the other businesses are but it's just about communicating with them early and just saying look this is we see that what you were doing it's not wrong but just can you see perhaps that this is where we're heading with it can you see how that might make make benefits or changes like end game for me exactly it's if yeah sit down at the beginning of your best time going what do you want what do you want where do we want to? and you can find the commonality whenever you bring on strategies or tactics or there's you just bring it back to we're in this together because we're aiming at that end game. The moment that end game is not the same, yeah. I believe it's going to get there, the merge is like done. But if you don't have that original the commonality of where we're headed as businesses and why we're doing this, it's, you'll end up arguing about operations and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a big thing for me, you know, it was a real eye-opener for me at how little some people like change. And because um, <laughs> I love change and, and that's another thing in this role, there's just, I don't see, like, you think, oh, well, at some point I'll get to the end of this role. Surely I'll have done everything. It, there's no way because there's so much changing in our own industry and there's so much technology changing all the time that, that there's not. You have to love change. And so it's a way of managing that. As I said, I didn't, I haven't really had formal experience in it, but it's sort of intuitively you've got to go, okay, well, and also why don't you let those people show you how they do it? And, and let them, there might be some parts of it, great, let's take that. So I know I haven't really answered that super well. But Miles, come back with it. It sounds like you need to be, need to be more patient. I think if you don't have time, to spend some time managing the people, to your point, understanding what motivates them, you, you, it's very hard to bring these together. Like you've got to have to sit down and, and get to know what they want to achieve, almost at an individual level, and that's going to give you the, the platform. Yeah, think- but at some point you do. You have to be brave enough to go. This is the decision we're making. True, it's the whole Steve Jobs movie where he turns around, tells the guy, "This is where we're headed. And if you don't like, it, get out of here." But you've got to. This is where we're headed in order to have that conversation. Yeah. Be great question. How do you deal with staff that are resistant to change? And I'm going to add to that. How do you deal with principals who tell you they want this and then when it actually comes to the operational side, it scares them? Um, Debbie, let's take that offline. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, it is really hard. I think uh, you're not going to get along. Firstly, personality-wise, you're not going to get along with everyone and you have to just... I, I have worked hard and I've worked equally hard and I know that my team has as well. We've all really recognized in each other hey that person's great at that 
end of story, let's let them run with that. That person is really good at that. Let's let them go with that. And, and sometimes they're the people that I then just go back to. If it's about a particular function that we're doing, I might go to one particular um, partner rather than going to everyone going, what does everyone think? Because we just get nowhere because there's too many different points of view. So I think the business as well has had to go, okay, these are my, they've had to realise themselves, these are my strengths. And so this is what we deal with. Look, Debbie, there's still things where I'll set up a process and it's a humming little process and then someone will decide that they want to go off and they off on a tangent and and it just makes me go ah and I go ah for a second and then I just go okay so what was wrong with the process tell me what was it about the process that didn't work that made you want to go off on a tangent was it just that you had a brain fade or was it that you don't like it that's so true and then you you sort of tap sort of nut that out a little bit, but it, it is it is absolutely number one my biggest challenge. Tony Robbins says, and you probably got it from Joe Rohan. Uh, Rohan what's his name? Anyway, he said if you want to influence someone, you need to first understand what's already influencing them and park whatever you want next to it. And that's that's I think a really really key key part of it. The other thing is I can add is don't try if you're trying to enact change in a business, and you've got twenty staff or fifteen staff, don't try to do all of them. Pick an inner circle three or four or five people, get them on side and then slowly pick off the people one by one, starting with the, the people you know you can get on side until eventually you'll have so many people who are on your side or have made the change. Everybody else over there will be going, hmm. Absolutely, absolutely the truth. Yeah, can't work. It doesn't work any other way. We've, we, we tried initially to roll things out to everyone to make it sort of fair and that we weren't, but, but it just doesn't. A lot of people, and it, there is that whole early adapters and, and later, there are people that want to see it fail, work, whatever. They want all of the, you know, things to be um, smoothed out, all the creases to be smoothed out before they're willing to jump. But then they're not, they're not being against it. And that's the other thing that you've got to be really important to understand is that they're not necessarily against it. They just need you to get more runs on the board. Yeah, there is an analysis you can do on a business, saboteurs and advocates. And yeah. you realize who are the people who back things and, and they do it at different rates. But if you've got a saboteur, who's someone who will create problems, I don't care how good they are or how smart they are, they've got to go. Um, Sam, good question. What do you see as the biggest compliance challenges operationally that you think could be done better in most businesses or needs to be done better? We could better, an area we want to be better in is still the production of the SOA. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think in terms of ticking off compliance and the things that we need to get done on a file, I mean, they're things that we now have, have pretty pretty much down pat we have them automated we've got templates as i said we don't do it to such a cookie cutter extent our clients still they're they're high income clients we absolutely value them and they're going to get a high level of service from us so we want to do that but we also want to scale we don't we can't offer bespoke service because you can't say to a client i'm going to charge you tens of thousands of dollars for an SOA for bespoke advice. And you can't, you know, it's, it becomes very difficult because it's about their expectations and, and what we need to do from a compliance perspective. So I still think that the SOA has got a lot of work in terms of its compliance and how it's delivered. So that's something that um, is going to be a focus for me um, very soon. We've, we're almost to the point of finishing our onboarding side of things. Um, 
So I hope that sort of answered your question. I mean, I get assistance, as I said, I get a lot of assistance. So one of the advisors um, who was the advisor um, has been there for 15 years. She also assists me on the compliance front because I sort of did say, look, I can't, I can't tackle everything. And that's something that she's very good at. Um, she's very stringent on that sort of thing. Um, it's her name on the license and, you know, she will protect it. And, and, and I sort of do, I, I take care of the processes to ensure those things happen. I just want to add one thing, which is going forward, five years from now, compliance and workflow will be the same thing. Mm. So um, adopting a workflow system that enables you to, to track things and tick things and monitor what's going on and produce FDS is that's the future. It's, yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, this has been really, really good. Do me a favor. If I've missed any questions that you really want to ask, put them in the box right now. Um, very quickly, Angela, let's go. Just give us a, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that most practices make when it comes to the way they manage things that are most easily fixed from your perspective, or at least, you know, the benefit of fixing them is pretty significant. Like two to yeah, I think, I think trying to be, trying to be the advisor who's client facing and that's doing all those things. That's where your skills, that's where the skill lies. Like you don't, you can't do all of those things. And if you, it really does take time. Like my role does take time. I may spend an hour or two hours drafting the perfect email. You know, it, it does take and you go back to it and then I'll send it for a couple of weeks and then I'll reread it and go, oh, we need to add this in. We're not even telling them about that. So things do take time and they need someone that's not, I, I think being a client facing person, it like Stu, you asked me before about my own energy but at least my own energy, I don't have to, I don't get in front of a client every day. I mean, these, these people that are the advisors, you're also managing the expectations of your clients and, and getting in front of them and getting up for them. It's hard for you then to get up for your team and to, and to be able to spend the time and, and have the headspace, I suppose. So yeah. I think, as, yeah, as much as you can think about it on your weekend or whatever the, hi, Nanny, the case may be, yeah, it's about you're good at what you do and being in front of the client. That is what you do. And, and you need to recognize that it's okay to, as long as you've got the right person that, that's, that's doing this for you, you need to be really confident that you, that you have the right person. So can I, can I so not managing any bleeding grow. Can we talk about, I, can I pop one in there and see what you think? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest mistake I see is principals who sit down and go, this is, this is how I want it run and they hand it over to an operations manager or, or, or a practice manager who's responsible for doing it. And then the problem child in the whole business that doesn't do the things that need to get done is the, advice, is the, is the team who've just said this is the outcome they want. So um, I guess how do we get that is, you know, not how do we, how do we cover that? Not, uh, not adhering to, I suppose, what, yeah, not practicing what they preach a little bit. And I suppose I, I think it's interesting, Stu, because one of the things that I didn't bring up is that because I really do feel that on the whole, our team has been awesome at that. Mm. So I don't see that as a problem every day. Yeah. Uh, but I can see that it would be. Actually, working with you guys, there is a, a huge openness to, to doing things differently. I think that probably makes, makes life a lot easier. Angela, this has been so good. Uh, it's always the best webinars come after we have technical problems. <laughs> if there's one thing, uh, people want to sort of connect with you or find out more about BBB or, you know, come along and see you speak or whatever, whatever your thing might be, how can they do it? Oh, just, yeah, I, I love, I absolutely love um, peer engagement and things like that. Like I have been, you know, 
even through COVID, you know, getting online with people and having conversations about how they're going with things and what else. Because, I mean, I don't think all of this should stop us from, it certainly hasn't stopped us at BBB from, from doing anything or, um, or, or growing the business. So please just, yeah, just connect on LinkedIn or, or shoot me an email or I'm always, because I think the more you give, you know, conversations are never really one way. You're always going to get something from someone too and I'm more than happy to help or share absolutely any question. Yeah, so shoot out an email. I've, I've written the details of Angela Lochlin. Lochlin? Yeah, we're, we're allowed to. It's a good Scottish name, right? Or is it Irish? Irish. We're the Irish version, yeah. Angela, that was awesome. I mean, hey. I, we went so deep on so many things. And I think for me, the really important part I'll take out of it is um, the, I think the, the, the work hard wants the question about when you can do this better. And also, I think the one thing that's really stuck with me is look for people who are going to treat your business like theirs. And give them the space and opportunity to succeed. And I think if there's one thing that I will take from that when I'm, when I'm sort of helping businesses to look for practice managers, it's, it, you know, is this person treating your business, your business like theirs? If they're not, they're not ready for a practice manager role. If they are, back them. Yay. Any, well said. Any final thoughts, Angela? No, no. Other than, yeah, I suppose just you have to try things. So don't sit there and go, we want to grow, we want to grow, we want to grow and don't do anything about it. If you want to, if you want to do something about it, then, then give it a go. It may not work for you and that may be the person or whatever else, but it, it doesn't hurt to try. Love it. Great. Angela, thanks so much for today. Enjoy your day. Everybody been sticking on. As I said, if you need, if you want any questions, connect with Angela on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, after that, let's, I'll, I'll leave it there. Thanks. Have a great day, Angela. Bye. So there you have it. I hope you found that as enjoyable as I did. I hope you, I mean, how could you not come out of a session like that without at least one, two, probably a page full of uh, insights you could take away. If you want to know more about Angela or you want to know more about the business, uh, go check out or Google BBB Partners. Um, It's a great business full of some really great people. Uh, They've come on a really interesting journey. And I think, uh, you know, I often talk to people about, that sweet spot you know uh last time the industry went through this kind of growth we're happening right now uh there's a lot of businesses out there that went from you know normal growing businesses to being market leaders and i think what happens in periods of evolution like right now is we see the businesses that were you know leading the market before that evolution they tend to drop back and it's keeping an eye out for those businesses that are coming through uh, is always really interesting. I think multidisciplinary firms like BBB, uh, uh, there's a big, big market for that moving forward. Not to mention, uh, I think more and more businesses are going to be looking to people like Angela who can really manage businesses and drive them forward in a way that uh, can be really hard for practice managers to do on their own. Uh, that's it for another episode of Finnovator. As always, 2021 is coming up soon. Uh, if you've decided that 2021 is the year that you'd like to make a leap, uh, feel free to head over to the website, uh, check out our programs, or just drop me an email at stuart at um, and uh, let me know what your plans are for the, for the coming year. Other than that, I hope you are heading into the end of the year in uh, style. I hope you've got some time off booked. That's a really important thing after a year like this, and uh, I'll see you soon.